0: If this is your first time here, first time back in a while, you picked a great Sunday to come out to church because today we are beginning our brand new Christmas series called Christmas Party. Now, if we were to compare notes as adults about our Christmas experiences, they would probably fall all over the place. There would probably be a lot of differences. But I'm guessing if we started to compare our Christmas experiences as children, we might have a lot more in common the agonizing waiting for Christmas, looking every day at the calendar, counting down the days till Christmas vacation and till Christmas would come. Do you guys remember that as a kid? It felt like it took forever for Christmas to get here. The days right before Christmas felt like the longest days in the entire year. I have five kids in my household and they just keep asking the question, when's Christmas, how many more days, when's it coming? But then you become an adult, and it gets a little bit different. Somebody says, hey, Christmas is about three weeks away, and you don't get excited anymore, you panic, right? Isn't it weird, the other day somebody told me, it's three weeks till Christmas, and I was like, oh no, (laughs) I'm not ready, there's so much we still have to do. And my kids were like, oh yay, when's it gonna get here? I'm thinking it's coming too fast. They're thinking it's taking way too long. As kids, we also, maybe had something else in common, so it's confession time uh, this Sunday morning. Remember, you're, you're in church, so it's always good to be honest. Um, and don't worry, it won't leave the room, uh, except for those watching online right now, which might be everywhere, so I don't know. Uh, but how many of you would confess this morning, show of hands, that you would search your house looking for the presents your parents had uh, hidden for you? Yes, oh, a lot of us, wow, okay. All let right, let's, let's, let's go a little bit deeper with this. How many of you would say, that you actually found the gifts that your parents hid for you. Okay. Yeah. All right. One more step here. Last question. How many of you not only found the gifts, but you took them out and played with them before Christmas? Can I see a show? A lot of sinners in the room. Look around a lot of sinners. Man, I'm right there with you guys. Though I'm right there. I did that too. One year, um, one year I discovered that my parents had hidden all our presents in the attic. And so um, they weren't home one day, and I went up there with a butter knife and some Scotch tape and started to open the presents to see what I got. And uh, it was kind of cool. Like I, um, They got the transformer that I wanted and the He-Man action figures that I wanted, so I was excited about that. Um, but what I really, really, really wanted was a video game system. And uh, our small group this past Friday, we do movie nights like once a month, and our small group came over and, um, We watched this new movie called 8-Bit Christmas. Um, It's like a throwback to the 80s and the search for a video game system by a group of kids. And it it was like my childhood watching that movie. There were so many things that I was like, yes, I did that. I can relate to that. I totally get that. And so that's really all I wanted. But as I looked through the packages, it was just a lot of corduroy pants and underwear. And, um, and so I was a little bit disappointed, okay? Uh, now, my parents actually did surprise me on Christmas morning um, after I was like, th- you know, thanks, Mom, for the tidy whities um, They whipped out one last present that they had hidden somewhere else because I think they, they realized that us kids knew where they had hidden the presents. And, uh, and they pulled out this last present, and it was the original NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Someone needs to amen that this morning. That was a very good Christmas gift in the late 80s. Well, the interesting thing is uh, this dynamic of waiting and waiting and waiting is the same dynamic that actually sets up the very first Christmas. See, for generations and generations, there had always been a remnant. There had always been a handful of Jewish people who waited every single day for the arrival, not of Santa Claus, but of a Messiah, a savior from God. In every single generation, there was this group of people that literally lived their lives every single day in obedience to God's commands, hoping, praying that this would be the day that the Messiah would arrive. But unlike Christmas for us, which we know is gonna come around every year on December 25th, this went on for not just years, Not just decades, but generation after generation after generation for over 700 years. And over time, like 99.99% of these people who waited and prayed for the coming Messiah died. And no Messiah came. And and many of the Jews over this 700-year period lost hope. And they started to think this Messiah Maybe it's just a myth. Maybe it's just a fairy tale that was told to us by our grandparents and great-grandparents. But there was always a group of believers that continued to hope and lived for the day as if this could be the day that the Messiah would come. Today, as we begin this series called Christmas Party, I want to introduce you to two of these people that really kind of, as we see in the Bible, get the Christmas party started. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, we're going to look in the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And and as you find that, here's why this is so relevant to us. Because at some point in your Christmas experience, if you haven't had this happen already, um, it it will. It will happen. There's a point in our Christmas experience where we go through a time where God seems so quiet and God is so seemingly silent that there are times in our lives when we look around and we say, why am I even doing this? Why am I still attending church? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why in the world am I continuing day after day to live my life as if there's something bigger than me? Am I just doing this because my parents taught me this? Is this just my fear that, that if, I, if I do something, if I abandon my faith or, or abandon my walk with God, that somehow something bad is going to happen to me? Is it just more superstition than something that I truly believe? And at some point in all our lives, there are seasons. There are months. There might even be years. There are periods in our lives where in our attempts to be faithful and good Christian people, we look around and say, where's this going? Where's this going? Is there really anything to any of this? And if you've ever had that thought, if you've ever had that question, if you've ever struggled with doubt, or maybe you're in one of those seasons of doubt right now, the Christmas story is totally for you. In fact, the Christmas story around the two characters we're going to look at today is kind of your story. So let's check this out. Let's dive into scripture. Luke chapter 1, picking up in verse 5. And here's what it says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. This meant that that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were both from the priestly line of Israel. Basically, they were preacher's kids from a long, 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 long line of preacher's kids. In other words, their great-great-great-great-grandfather was a preacher. They came from a long family tree of holy religious leaders, priests in Israel. Now, this is kind of where we pick up some tension in the story, picking up in verse 6. It says this, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. When God looked at these two people, when God looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah, he went, they're doing it right. They've made me first place in their life. I'm their first love. I'm first in their family. As we talked about back in the the Chasing Purpose series in the fall, they were God-centered in how they were living their lives. God wasn't just a part of their life. He was all of their life. If you sent a private investigator to follow them around, he wouldn't be able to dig up any dirt on them. And here's what's amazing. They were living that way as followers of God based on promises that had been given 2,000 years earlier. And for the last 700 years in their timeline, in their history, God had done nothing visible for the nation of Israel. God had been absolutely silent. And yet these two people, day after day after day, lived their lives as if Christmas was coming. They lived their lives as if a Messiah, a Savior, was coming. They believed that God was actually going to keep his promise. And so we'd ask, hey, Zechariah, hey, Elizabeth, you've made God first in your life. You've made God first in your family. He's your first love. How's that working out for you? Check out the next verse, verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So let me get this straight. You're making God first in your life. You're getting up every day, day after day after day, trusting in God, waiting on this Messiah to come, being good church people. And this God of yours rewards you by leaving you childless. And in this culture, this was considered a curse, to not have an heir. And it was always, in this culture, it was always the woman's fault. The women always got the blame, not the men because there was no medical knowledge like there is today. All they knew was that a woman was supposed to be able to have a baby. In fact, I, I don't mean to be offensive this morning, but in that culture, they believed that that was the main thing that a woman was good for. They had no political standing in that time. They generally couldn't work and do the different kinds of jobs that men were allowed to do. They almost always had no higher education. They were uneducated and only boys were allowed to go to school. And, And so for a woman to not be able to get pregnant, there was a sense in which they believed that God had chosen for some reason to curse her. And so for Elizabeth, this righteous woman who's living a holy life for God, who's given God first place in her life through her teenage years and her young adult years and her middle age years and now into her senior years, it was over. It was too late. Her time had passed. God had done nothing for her. And we find out a little bit later in the story that Elizabeth and Zachariah had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and they had begged God for a child. And God had said no. And Elizabeth lived with the shame and the pain of this into her senior years. Now here's what's so ridiculous about this. Uh, Elizabeth, and Zechariah were faithful to this God based on a promise made to their ancestor Abraham 2,000 years earlier. So let's do a little history lesson this morning. Not 2,000 years from now, 2,000 years before their time. So 4,000 years from our time, God had supposedly appeared to a guy named Abraham. And here's what he said to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, which actually happened, by the way. It's the nation of Israel that came from Abraham. So that's kind of interesting. And then God said, I will bless you and I will make your name great, Abraham. Check number two. That actually happened. I'm sure pretty much most of us in this room have heard of Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You've probably heard of that before you even came to church. But here's where the promise starts to break down. God then gave a third promise, and he said, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless all the people of earth through you. All the people of earth will be blessed, Abraham, through you. And so that was kind of the root idea of why the Jews believed there was something more planned for the nation of Israel, that God had had something in store, this incredible gift, this incredible party that was going to be able to bless the entire world. And if you know the, the story, after God gave Abraham this promise, Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac, and he had a son named Jacob, and he had 12 sons. And then they, they moved to Egypt, and after a period of time, they became this nation, this these Hebrew nation. And then they were enslaved by a pharaoh who was threatened by their population growth. And they became a slave nation for hundreds of years until finally God raised up a leader named to Moses, that's right, and he led these Israelites to freedom, to this promised land that God had for them. And then they finally became a kingdom. And it looked like God was finally going to keep his promise. And God was finally going to be able to bless all the people of earth through this lineage of Abraham. There was a king named David who was an awesome king. He was probably the greatest king Israel ever had. And he had a son named Solomon who was considered the wisest person to ever live. It was a golden age for Israel. If ever there was a time that God was going to leverage the nation of Israel to bless the entire world, it was certainly during this time. But no, it didn't happen. And then everything fell apart. The nation split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And there were a few good kings, but there were a whole bunch of bad kings. And between the time of King Solomon and the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the nation of Israel changed hands. It changed rulers over 25 times. The Syrians took them over. The Babylonians conquered them. The Greeks took them over. The Persians ruled over them. At one point, they were exiled for 70 years. I mean, the nation of Israel was no longer a superpower, it was weak. It no longer had wealth, it no longer had influence. And the idea that God would bless the entire world through the nation of Israel seemed absolutely ridiculous. And not only was it not going to happen, it couldn't happen. And then finally, to add insult to injury, in 65 B.C., a famous Roman general by the name of Pompey the Great marched into Jerusalem, pushed past the temple guards, went right past the priests, right into the Holy of Holies of the temple, the place where the Jewish people believed that God literally dwelled, the Spirit of God lived, the place where the high priest could only go once a year and serve before God. And they would tie a rope around his waist before they sent him in because if he had any sin in his life and God struck him dead, there needed to be a way to pull him out of the Holy of Holies. This is the Holy of Holies where where the Jews believed that if you walked into uninvited God would strike you dead like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the priests gasped as Pompey the Great walked right into the Holy of Holies, looked around, and walked out, and nothing happened to him. And word spread throughout Jerusalem that Jupiter, that Zeus, the God of the Romans, was more powerful than Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Zechariah was a little boy when that happened. His father was a temple priest, and he would have remembered the day that his dad came home and just ripped off his robes and just wept bitterly the day that the temple was desecrated by a Roman general and God had done absolutely nothing. And yet, that boy would go on to become a priest and serve God his entire life. And marry a godly woman named Elizabeth who would also serve God her entire life. And while so many Jews during that time turned away from the temple and turned away from their faith in God, Zechariah and Elizabeth did not. And if you had come to them at that time and if you had said, hey guys, give it up already. God's a myth. He's not even real. Israel will never rise again. All those stories from your past are legend and coincidence. Israel's never going to be a world power. Nothing could possibly come from this tiny, dusty little place that would ever impact the entire world. Give it up, guys. Walk away. Enjoy the remaining few years you have left of your childless life because your God, if he's even real, has abandoned you. And if we had whispered that, to Zechariah and Elizabeth's ears during those difficult, difficult years of their life, guess what, we would have been wrong. Because the reason Luke begins his story with this story is because this was the beginning of something brand new that would ultimately result in the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And the reason this story is so important to you and the reason it should be so important to me is because, as I said earlier, there are moments, there are periods, there are seasons in our lives where all of us wonder, is God real? Is God listening? Does God care? And on Christmas, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Here's how the story goes on. Luke 1 verses 8 and 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the customs of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So essentially there are these 23 groups of priests and they they cast lots, they gamble to decide who's going to be chosen. And being chosen is is something rare. I mean, this is something that might happen once in your lifetime as a priest. And Zechariah is chosen, and so he goes alone into the temple, and he stands right outside the curtain that divides the outer temple from the Holy of Holies. He stands right outside where God dwells, and he offers incense to God. It's a very sacred occasion. It is an honor for a priest to be chosen to do this. And here's what happens in Luke 1, verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's there all by himself, just kind of doing his priest thing, a big day in the life of a priest, trying to be faithful. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears. Verse 12, continuing on. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And this is kind of the standard angel response as you read your Bible. Um, angels, they just go ahead and usually get this out of the way right in the beginning. And the reason angels have to start their conversations with people with do not be afraid, uh, the reason they have to do that is because when people see an angel of God, they freak out, okay? That's, that's usually what happens. When I, when I hear modern-day stories of people saying, oh, an angel appeared and we had a conversation and, and it was so nice, I'm thinking, I'm not sure what you were smoking, but that doesn't sound like a biblical angel to me, because when the Bible says when angels appear, people literally fall flat on their face in terror and they pee their pants, okay? The, the Bible angels are big and they're powerful and they're scary. Even when they're not trying to be scary, they're scary. And so they always have to tell people, don't be afraid. People tell me all the time as a pastor, I have conversations with folks and they'll say, man, I just, I, I wish that God would send an angel to like speak to me. And I'm like, I don't know if you really want that. I don't think, maybe in the daytime, definitely not at night, because I'd wet the bed if that happened. And so this angel appears and says, do not be afraid. I have good news. And Zechariah still, even though he says this, he is shaken. He is gripped with fear. And he's a good man. I mean, this guy is a good priest. He's a godly man. Imagine if it were one of us. Right? We're all jacked up. If an angel appeared to us, we'd be changing our shorts and confessing all our sins. And the angel would be like, Stop confessing. I, I have good news that I'm trying to give you. So here's what the angel says. This is awesome. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Your prayer has been heard. Wouldn't you love to hear that sometime in your life from God? Even if the answer was no to the prayer, just that he heard it, that he heard your prayer, I think that would be kind of awesome. And and this promised child, this son that the angel tells Zechariah about, he's going to become famous. He's going to become a very famous John. He's going to become John the who, church? John the Baptist. And this is how the Christmas story, this is how the Christmas party begins. Verse 14, verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And again, why would John the Baptist need to bring the people of Israel back to God? Because many of the Israelites had abandoned God. They had been waiting for 700 years and God had seemed completely silent. They'd lost faith. They thought their religion was just a myth. It was just a legend. They had stopped temple worship. They had drifted away. God had been silent for 700 years. It was over. God wasn't real. It was just interesting stories to tell your children about Moses parting the Red Sea and things like that. But the God of Israel, if he ever existed, had abandoned them a long time ago. Verse 17, and he will go on, John, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared. For the Lord. And then look at Zechariah's reaction in verse 18. I think this is pretty hilarious. This is what Zechariah says in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is uh, along in years. You gotta love the Bible, right? I mean, this is good stuff. You can see the wheels in Zechariah's head turning in this conversation. He's like, look, Mr. Angel, I'm old. And my wife, she's, hold on, let me make sure nobody's listening to us right now. I want to make sure this doesn't get back to her and I'm sleeping on the couch. My wife, she's not old. She's well along in years. She still looks great. Don't tell her I said that she was old. In other words, he says to the angel, look, I'm so glad, angel, that you heard our prayers, but I think you're a little bit late. I think God mistimed this because we've been praying for a kid since we were in our 20s. I mean, we prayed through our 30s, we prayed through our 40s. Just for the heck of it, we kept praying into our 50s. But you know what? Now I'm old. And my wife, she looks great, but she's up there too. And the angel said to him and I love this. Angel said this, "What do you mean how can you be sure?" "I'm Gabriel. I'm God's angel." You're talking to a freaking angel right now, and you're wondering, how is this possible? Seriously, Zechariah, verse 19. Check this out. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Did you guys catch that last part? At the what? A point in time. Wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me that God had this day marked on his calendar? You mean all these 700 years since the glory days of King David and King Solomon, God waited on purpose? You mean to tell me that God has watched his people abandon him in droves because it looked like there was no way Israel could ever be strong again, strong enough to bless the world, and all along God was not really absent? God was not really silent? God had a plan? You mean God hadn't stopped paying attention And he not only heard my prayers, but he heard the prayers of his people for generation after generation after generation. And Gabriel would be like, yep. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people waiting for Zechariah were wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. So he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. So the other priests were wondering, why is it taking him so long in there? And when he finally comes out, they realize something supernatural happened to Zechariah. He can't speak. Verse 24, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But that was just the warm up act. That was just evidence that God was gearing up to do what He had planned all along. That God is a God who keeps His promises. And finally, the day had come when God would put into action what He had planned to do since He had made that promise to Abraham. 2,000 years earlier that God was about to get the party started where every nation on earth would be blessed. Here's how it concludes in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is our story. This is our dilemma, isn't it? Do we stay or do we go? Do we believe or do we quit believing? Do we serve or do we do something else? Do we give or do we just spend like there's nothing more than just us? But despite history and despite where the winds of culture may blow, in every generation there remains a remnant of people who decide to remain faithful in spite of the fact that sometimes God seems silent. And the good news is this, if that's your situation, there's nothing wrong with you. If that's where you're at right now, welcome to the world of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a couple that decided we're gonna follow God and we're gonna make him first, we're gonna give him first place in our lives in spite of what we see, in spite of what other people say, and in spite of the fact that we can't imagine that God could possibly do what we hope for. And so if you've got questions in your walk with God, the good news is, guess what, you're normal. The challenge is, will you be a part of that remnant? Will you be that unique middle schooler, that unique high school student, that unique teenager, that unique young adult, that unique married couple, that unique single, that says, I'm gonna maintain my beliefs. I'm gonna maintain my integrity and my values because at the end of the day, I wanna know that I'm sold out for God, that he's the first love of my life, whether I see God do anything or not. And the story of Christmas is a reminder. It's a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. It's a reminder that even when God seems silent, he's not absent or uninterested in you. It's a reminder that God pays attention and is moved by those who remain faithful. But best of all, the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith and that your hope are not in vain. There's a song we sometimes sing around this time of year. I think we might even sing it this year on, on Christmas Eve the song is called "O Holy Night and it was written a long time ago the lyrics were actually written by a French poet and I love one of the lines in this song because it so captures the idea of this message it says long lay the world in sin and error pining which means longing praying waiting waiting to see God move waiting to know that he's actually real. And Christmas is a reminder that our pining, our longing, our waiting is not in vain. That our faith in God is not misplaced. That God is a God who keeps his promises. And that he was just getting the party started. Can we pray together, church? Let's pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father. God, we thank you that you're a God who keeps his promises. God, we thank you for the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, which shows us that even in those times in life when it seems like you're absent, when it seems like you're silent, when we fall into those seasons of questioning and doubt, which are normal, which all of us kind of experience and go through in this life, that you're the God who can be trusted, that you're the God who is faithful, that you're the God that even when it seems like you're silent and absent, that you're the God who has a plan and a purpose for our lives, for our future. God, thank you for reminding us of that today. And thank you for being a God who keeps his promises. Just like you made those promises to Abraham 4,000 years ago and every single one of them came true. You're a promise keeper, and we love you, God. Lord, as we enter this this Christmas season, Father, God, may we be able to just draw our thoughts towards you, to remember that you're a God who's big and good, and that you're a God who can be trusted. We can trust you to make you our first love. That you're a God who's always faithful. We love you. We thank you for being the incredible God you are. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, celebrate who our God is.
1: the goodness of God. You will let me through the fire in darkest light. You were close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. In the goodness of God. Surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me.
0: Heavenly Father, I pray blessings upon these, your people today. Father, I thank you again for this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and Father, for the hearts that it spoke to this morning. For the person in this room today, the person watching online who may be going through a season of doubt right now, just struggling and God just seems silent. Father God, may they just have new strength and new hope in just seeing who you are that you're the God who's present even when it seems like you're not. You're the God who has a plan. You're the God who has our lives and the whole world in your hands. You're a great big God who can be trusted. You're a God who loves us and who cares about everything in our lives, whether big or small. God, I pray that people who needed to hear that today would hear it and they would be encouraged and they would feel your presence powerfully in the days and weeks ahead god we love you again thank you for being faithful thank you for being our promise keeper pray these things today in jesus name god bless you guys can't wait to see you back next week as we continue in part two of our christmas party and i just want to remind you again as pastor jim said Uh, We've got about 10 uh, kids left on the blessing tree. We would love to see them get adopted today. So there will be somebody waiting back there. Um, You have the opportunity to do it this week. And then next Sunday will probably be our last Sunday for the blessing tree. Um, But we hope you get a chance to be able to do that. Also on the back table, grab some invite cards. Start thinking about people in your life who you can invite to Christmas Eve this year. Where we're going to present the gospel in a powerful way. God bless you.
1: the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God.